Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. My graduates from my school being Forbes, bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> A mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. What's going on, Ernest? Look, at 26, I made one of the most important decisions of my life. That's right. I didn't have family at the time, but I did have a life insurance policy. A wise man told me life insurance isn't about the people who die. It's about the people who live. It's one of the best ways to secure generational wealth for your family's future. And it makes perfect sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which surprisingly is affordable. Why not pay a little bit each month to secure the future of the people you love long term? If you're asking yourself that question, I want you to check out Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get coverage. You just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's algorithms work instantly, so you'll know right away if you're approved for coverage. No hidden fees, and you can cancel any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to get started. So check out Ladder today to see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com slash EYL. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash EYL. That's ladderlife.com slash EYL. You know how this works. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Secure your family's future right now. All right, guys. Welcome back. EYL, this is a special, special edition. So there's a lot of backstory behind this. Um, Todd Johnson a.k.a. TJ, the millionaire mentor. Yep. So we are at his lovely home. Yeah, Thank you, man. Let's not call it a home. Let's call it an estate. Yeah, so so we're in California right now, yeah. and um, we were here a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So shout out to our guys, Cheat Code. Um, and they actually told us that there was a white party going on, an like all-white party, and they're like, yo, you should come. I'm like, well, we wasn't really invited, so I don't know how that's going to <laughs> But he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm sure that you know, he wouldn't have a problem with you right. coming, da, 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 da. So I'm like, all right. So 
But long story short, we came, and I didn't know what to expect. It was yeah. like, all right, it's, it's a party. We're all white, whatever, yeah. show up. So we show up, and it's like the best house I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, where are we at right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, waiting for LeBron James to come out of something. <laughs> and um, as I'm walking out, I see a Ferrari, which I come to find out is like worth like a million point. Two dot million, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. 1.2 million. That that Ferrari, that Ferrari is not. The other, you know, there's some other cars here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Some of the other ones, So when I when I came in, yeah. TJ, it was a you know, a bunch of people around, and he was giving like a TED talk about the car. Like he was like <laughs> going into the details of the car. So it was yeah. a it was a it was his birthday gift for himself, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he gave a speech and so it was a whole, I'm trying to paint the picture. Yeah, it was like yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. vibe going yeah. on and I'm like, where am I at right now? <laughs> and then lo and behold, who do yeah. we see on the other side? Kika Wise. So if you watch EYL, if you're yeah. loyal, you know that she's somebody that we interviewed yeah. early on yeah. Yeah. a couple, yeah. couple years ago. Yeah. She had a unique business where she franchised stretching studios. Yeah. And we put her on, the episode was dope. She talked about the process of franchising, yeah. how to be a franchisor. So I saw her there and I'm mm-hmm. like, this is interesting because she lives in Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I went to go talk to her after mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, what's up? And she's like, you know, there's a backstory to this. I'm yeah. like, what's the backstory? Yeah. So there's a sticker on the Ferrari yeah. that says Kika Wise Stretch Studios. Yeah. So come to find out, TJ. Yeah. Watched EYL episode yep. with Kika. Yep. I guess he was impressed and ended up becoming an investor in her company. Yep. That's right. And now you're business partners. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that was a full surface, full circus moment for me. And I'm like, okay, we got to interview TJ. Yeah. A, just off of the house alone. <laughs> <laughs> Gave you instant credibility in my book. Uh, but yeah. then that story and then actually just getting to know you, yeah. you know, just a wealth of information. Yeah. So, this is going to be a legendary episode. I'm yeah, sure a lot of man. information, a lot of gems. So first and foremost, thank you for having us. Yeah, man. Appreciate you guys coming, man. It was yeah. awesome. It was, it was a surprise to see you guys. You know, I looked yeah. over, I saw you guys, and I saw you with Kika, and I was like, wait, they, like, Kika must have invited them. You know? <laughs> so, so, and so the story, I got to tell you the story about, like, Kika, right? So, you know, so I coach. I help people. I help uh, entrepreneurs grow their business. And so I do one-on-one thing and we do some group coaching stuff. And so at the time I was really interested in franchising because I just thought it was a good opportunity for people to come up and build a business and not have to go through the struggles of starting from scratch. So, you know, I was just in the middle of that. I was just thinking about that and like studying some stuff. And then I got this message from Kika, right? I didn't know Kika, but I got this message from her and it was like, so I saw the message and then I sent a message back and she sort of said something ambiguous. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went and looked and I saw the interview that you did with her, right? And I was impressed by her, right? She's authentic. She was smart, you know, uh, you know, she was straightforward, you know, everything. And then I thought she had a good business and uh, assisted stretching. Hadn't heard of it. And I thought, you know, we started doing some research. Yeah. So I started doing some research, trying to figure all this out. And then I asked Kika, I said, Kika, 
why did you send me this message? How did you find me? She said, I sent the message by mistake. <laughs> right? I was sending it to a different TJ. A different TJ. Right? So, 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 we, so it's like this happen chance that I saw, you know, her message. I knew who you guys were because you guys are killing it, you know, <laughs> and doing all that, you know, great content, interviewing entrepreneurs. So obviously, you know, like check you guys out. But specifically, I saw this episode, and that episode got me to talk to Kika, and then we started talking right away, and then, you know, uh, there was all types of synergy, connected, uh, made the investment in the business, and now we work day, every day, you know, at building that business. So, so I'm excited about that business, but we got him together, we came together because of you guys, yeah, you know? And when I saw the, the, the logo on the car, yeah. I immediately said, the next car release, we shall have a sticker on it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love so, it. So let's get into this. I want, there's a lot of things I want to talk yeah. about, but um, you were in the tech space at first, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you started off as a computer programmer, I believe? Yeah, yeah. So, so I basically from 17 years old, got out of high school, went in the military, and started going to school at night. Mm -hmm. And went to school at night uh, to study computer science. And, uh, and I, you know, took a lot of programming classes and all that sort of stuff and, uh, and, and was getting out of the military and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, so I got out of the military, you know, and, uh, you know, it had this early out sort of situation where you can get out early. And so it gave me a chance to like test the waters to go out and go, you know, I'm gonna get out. So when I figured out I was going to get out, I went and started interviewing with people. Mm. And while I was in the military, I figured out that I couldn't become a general. I went in and enlisted, you know, that's not the path. Yeah. Why, you why can't you got to go to like school to become a general? Yeah. Like, like West so, Point? And it's also very political. You got to go to the right schools. You got to have you was in the Army? more Air Force. Oh, yeah, Air Force. Air Force. Air Force. Oh, yeah. And you have to have uh, 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 war experience and all this sort of stuff. And, and, you know, so it's very political thing. So you can't like just progress and get in as an E1 and then become like an officer and become a general. Even if you can switch over and become an officer, you're not going to progress up to become general. Mm -hmm. So once I figured that out, I was mad. I was like, I can't get to the top, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so what I did is I figured out what the top guy made in the military. And I went out and interviewed and I asked for that salary, right? Which was ridiculous at the time. But I asked for that salary because I still had a job. Yeah. And when everybody told me no, I was like, well, what do I need to do to make that kind of money? And they would say, well, you need to have done this type of coding. You need to have written this kind of program and been successful at this. So I wrote everything down, mm. right? And then I updated my resume. And I created what I call a forward-looking resume. And then that became my roadmap, right? So I went back. I started doing all that stuff to get that experience. So then a year later, I got out. I still didn't quite get the money I wanted, you know, but I started uh, – programming and all that sort of stuff and working and, and, and doing all the stuff. But that gave me the foundational stuff I needed to get the skill that I was able to use to build my company. Yes. Um, so yeah. at that point, you're just finding the skills, listening to mm -hmm. them. Skills. And then knocking them off. I'm going right. to take the That's skill. Because I, I, I read at what point you started building computers yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is not yeah. a, a right. typical thing for people right. to do. So well, back in the day, it was, yeah. Right? So at what time? <laughs> at what time period is, is this? Is this late nineties or like when is yeah, this? Yeah, like uh, so it was like uh, so I got out of the military in like uh, 
like 91, 92. Mm-hmm. So what was the top um, guy in the military making at that point? So? Like $86,000 a That's year how so much they was making? Yeah, so, that's but crazy. But they made a whole lot of like, they got a lot of benefits, but that's what they made. Yeah, yeah. So I was like 86000 89. It was like 86 or 89. So when I got out, I was like, that's what I want to make, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, people thought I was crazy, you know, for asking for that. But it taught me a lot because, you know, to ask for it, it doesn't cost you anything to ask for it, right. you know? And then you can find out what you need to do to get there. People are going to tell you, no, you, 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 you don't qualify. Well, you can't stop there. If I don't qualify now, what does it take for me to qualify? And so that was a, that was a huge key to, mm-hmm. to, to me um, having a path to getting the skills that I need to build because that was a huge, that was really important to me is building skills. You know, because if I built skills, it didn't matter what kind of job I had. If I built skills, then I was going to be safe. I was going to be good. Where did did that level of ambition come from? Is that something that was taught to you? You watched somebody like maybe your your parents or somebody that just instilled that in you? Where where did that come from? You know, I think my mom was, um, my mom always was ambitious from a standpoint of you're supposed to win. You're supposed to be successful. You're supposed to win, even though she wasn't necessarily all that commercially successful. Right. She was 14 years old when she got pregnant with me mm-hmm. and my dad, you know, I, I remember meeting my dad on the street. My dad was a uh, his passion was boxing. So he's a professional boxer, but not a successful boxer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not being a successful boxer, you don't make a lot of money. But I think just the environment that I grew up in, you know, it was a lot of uh, in the South. I grew up in the South. And uh, there was a lot of racism during the time that I grew up. And for me, I just wanted to beat you know, everybody around me that said I couldn't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the white kids, I wanted to beat them. I mean, that was the bottom line. I wanted to beat them. And, uh, and so I think that spurred my competitive spirit and the fact that my mom, you know, I, you know, she was, we kind of grew up together, right? You know, mm-hmm. she's 14, okay, she's you know, mom. so we kind of grew up together a little bit, you know, and uh, wanting to help her out and make sure her life was easier, you know? So that also spurred you know, um, ambition in me, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, where in the South did you go? Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. So, all right. So you learn computer skills. You become mm-hmm. a computer programmer. Yep. There's a, a lot of people that have computer skills, but there's not a lot of people that have computer skills that become entrepreneurs, I right. noticed. Right. I don't know why, but I, it, it, it doesn't really happen a lot. Sometimes mm-hmm. it happens, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. How did you transition to becoming a a CEO and actually, you know, running a company. Yeah. So I think, so I work for this company and I remember getting passed over for a job and, and it didn't make sense when I got passed over because I was so big on gaining skills that I would go to work at, so I I had a job where I worked from three to 11 at night. Mm -hmm. So I would go in at 10 in the morning and work from 10 in the morning until three in other departments. And I would gain skills in those other departments. And then I would go work in my department, right? So and you're volunteering at the beginning? I was volunteering okay. at other things, right? right? And so, and people aren't, people don't want to do that, which doesn't make sense to me because we'll go to school and pay to go to school, but we won't volunteer to get skills. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make sense to me, right? But for me, I was always on, let me get the skills because you can never take that away from me, right? So I did that. And then I started using those skills to improve my department, 
and, and do, you know, do, uh, do things in our department that other people couldn't do or didn't want to do, right? And so there was a particular system that, um, that existed that wasn't really doing well, didn't give us the results that we wanted. We paid a lot of money for it, and I volunteered to take over the system. So I volunteered to take over the system, and I would just spend a lot of time learning this thing. And then I would start getting good results out of the system. So at some point, there was a promotion announced. Mm -hmm. So at the time there was a promotion announced, everybody gathered around, everybody said, oh, TJ, you know, congratulations, bro, blah, 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 blah. And then Mike ends up getting the promotion. Mm -hmm. I was devastated, right? And everybody's like, when the, uh, when the promotion was announced, it was like, oh, you know, that kind of yeah, a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so at that time, I was like, man, I was like disappointed. So I called my mentor, told him, he laughed at me, right? He was like, well, sounds like it's time for you to go, you know? And so he started putting my name out in different places. And when he did that, you know, I started getting calls, you know? And so I got a call from uh, what we call the Beltway Bandit around D.C., right, where it was a government contractor mm, okay. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it was kind of a sweatshop. You go, you work all these stupid hours. And then I got a job at, I think, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or something like that, a really good, solid company where you had sort of a nine to five. You go work and, you know, you do your thing. So I went and worked at the sweatshop and I wanted to compete with those guys. So I worked at the sweatshop, worked all these hours. And as a result of doing that, I learned to be very competitive in this particular tool. And with that, um, uh, the company went in a different direction with their tools. They got sold to Wang, and I ended up going off and building a company supporting that tool. So, so that's how I started, you know, was based on my knowledge of this one particular technology, and I just leveraged that to say, hey, look, you know, let me help you do this. And I think the, the biggest thing that I did that was a benefit was I didn't become, like, a lot of times people start a business, right? And they think because they're getting paid as an independent contractor, they're in business for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't, that's not what I did. What I did is I would go in, I would start a business and I would say, I got these other people that can help me do, you know, that, that do this work, even though I only had one other person that I would hire, you know, to do this stuff. So, um, so I didn't get caught up in doing the work all the time. I would always hire someone and teach them to do the work. And that helped me build a business as opposed to just being an independent contractor. So let's let's, let's talk about that for a little yeah. bit. So you really were an independent contractor, but you was contracting somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So instead of you there. actually doing the work, you would take less money mm -hmm. to hire somebody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. And that the theory is just free up your time and allows you to grow the business. Absolutely. And yeah. you're training that person in the skills. I would train that person. And even though it was a very proprietary thing, yeah. and that person had no skills, and I was better at that particular thing than this person, yeah. I would always tell the customer, this guy is the expert. He's really, really good, right? So he would come <laughs> alongside me, smile and grin, and you know, and then we would go back to the hotel at night, and then I'd be doing the work yeah. and showing him how to do it. And I did that onesie twosies, and then uh, you know, we got some momentum going, and I could hire more people. Yeah, this is a prime example of one of the things I've heard you say before about smart work and hard work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People think, oh, we just have to work smart, not hard, yeah. to get ahead. Yeah. But your, this story shows an example of both. Yeah. Right? You, yeah, yeah. you did the hard work. Yeah, yeah. 
and then you did the smart work. Yeah. Like I'm gonna, you're gonna come in, yeah. and I'm gonna yeah. hire you, and just smile, and yeah. it was done. Yeah. Is that something that you learned from the the internship and the volunteering, um, combined with obviously now with the mm -hmm. government contracting job? I think it was just being hungry, right? Mm -hmm. Just being hungry, you're gonna find a way, right? And you're gonna find a way. And for me, it was you know like first there's safety, right? Let me make sure I have a have the skills that's gonna take care of me no matter what happens, right? Um, so that was part of it. And then you want to be successful. You don't know what that means, you know, but you know it means that you had to make a lot of money. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, if you make a lot of money, then, you know, everything else will take care of itself. And so when people say work smart, not hard, I believe that you got to do both. I don't believe that you, you know, I think all the people that are grinding, you know, like killing it, they're doing both. They're working really, really hard and they're working smart. You know, so I don't think it's an either or, yeah. uh, but I don't know where I learned it from. I think it's just a matter of just wanting to be successful and wanting to win. And and so it's kind of like you build a game plan to win. Right. So what's the game plan to win? You, you build it way up here and you know that you're going to be able to beat this guy if you, you if you overbuild the plan. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's what I did. So when did when did it really start to scale for you? The tech um, business, the, the technology business. Yeah. Um, the technology business, uh, early on, it was to be one person, two people, three people. And I didn't even get paid, right, for a long time because I would always be hiring Because you was paying someone. them. And, and just for clarity, mm -hmm. so this was actually like computer programming? Mm -hmm. You were yeah. like, companies would pay you to help with their infrastructure? Yeah, system and integration stuff. Okay. Yeah, so we modify uh, system and integrate it, right? So it would be really big companies. I think my big, my first customer was like nationwide insurance. You know, big customer was yeah, nationwide right. insurance. I had some little customers before that, but I learned a lesson because with the little customers, I would work, but then I wouldn't invoice, you know, because that wasn't my strength, mm -hmm. you know, doing the paperwork. I hated that. So I would work, do all this work, but I wouldn't invoice them. And then by the time I got the invoice from them, somebody's left the company. You know, they, they, you know, I didn't have a good agreement right. in place. It's right? tricky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know that. You know. So, so I think my first big company was uh, Nationwide Insurance, and then I bought on a couple people, um, and then um, I forget who the second one was. But I would get little company, uh, little. Uh, I would get these contracts and bring on people. And then I think once I got around, you know, eight the, you know, eight people, ten people, I was making like decent money, right? Because I was we even way back then you charge like hundred and fifty dollars an hour for everyone, and then you would make sure everybody had a six figure salary, you know. So that's fifty bucks. So you're still making hundred bucks, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I think by the time I got to that point, I could hire more people, like salespeople and and things like that. And once I hired salespeople, I was able to scale you know, faster. The salespeople was actually marketing your services to companies. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how did you, how did you attract companies to just at the beginning of cold calling? No, in the beginning, what I would do is instead of going to my, the customer directly, I would go to a bigger company and subcontract to them. Right. So I would subcontract to the people that was, uh, had the primary contract with nationwide or, Chase or IBM or whomever. So I would go to those people that already had a, a agreement and a relationship, and then I would go in and help solve a problem for them. And so it was easy because you know they needed people like us, mm -hmm. you know, 
um, you know, uh, they needed the technical skills. So I would go find those people. And then at some point, I began to market directly to the, the companies myself. So I said, so all right. So it's like Nationwide is using X, Y, and Z computer services mm-hmm. to handle that, that tech. Mm-hmm. So instead of you going Nationwide, you went to X, Y, and Z computer yeah. services yep. and like, look, I can help you guys. Yep. And then they, and then learning their system mm-hmm. at some point in time, you do get a contact with Nationwide, mm-hmm. which allows you to go directly to Nationwide. Yeah. At a certain you, point. Yeah. At some point you'd be able to go directly to Nationwide if, you know, your contract, you know, if you, you had a non-competes and stuff, as long as you, you honor that stuff, you know, or it gave you the ability to create, re, uh, create revenue that allowed you to hire other people to go get other gigs. You know what I mean? Even if you didn't go back to Nationwide, you can go other places, you know? So that was my strategy initially is like, we were kind of invisible to, uh, to everybody for a long time because we would go in and we would, uh, uh, Pricewaterhouse, we would have their card. Deloitte, we'd have their card, you know? And we just had to have a bunch of cards with my name on it, you know? You know, cause those were the people I was, I was uh, marketing to because it was a lot fewer of them and they already had that. So it was easy, right? Because I could go to you and be like, hey, look, you can help you make money, right? By bringing us in. There was a win for them. Yeah, so, so as you're scaling it and you got it to a point and now you're making money, I'm thinking now when, when you started the business, was it in a vision like, I want to get it to this point and then perhaps move on from it and create mm-hmm. another one? So what was that point and, and was that the initial thought when you started it? Not so when I initially started my business, um, I, so at, at some point when I started my business, I had this weird conversation with someone, right? They, um, it was this, uh, this uh, company that wanted me to come work for them. And the guy did a whole lot of work to try to convince me that I couldn't build a business, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember him and his partner bring, taking me to dinner and going, hey, look, you don't want to do all this invoicing. You don't want to build a sales team. You don't want to do all these things. And you're not going to be good at that. You're a technical guy. You know, mm-hmm. so so I remember having dinner with them, right? Uh, uh, I can't say the name. I can say the name. <laughs> Dave, Dave Rosenblatt. <laughs> you watching this? <laughs> uh, he motivated me right so much, and uh, so what we did is we had dinner, and they were telling me that they wanted me to come work for them and give up my dream of building a business. And I wasn't willing to do that, you know? So we were having this nice dinner at steak, over steak, and then they were like, come on, man, everybody has a number. So he would like, you know, push over like a piece of paper, <laughs> that whole thing, right? Push over a piece of paper, just write down your number, you know? And he wouldn't let it go. So I finally on the paper wrote down what it would take for me to work for them and not to build a company. Yeah. So. I wrote down a million dollars, right? And then I slid it back to him. And it was like, just like this, it was like two guys at dinner and they're looking at me and they looked at the, the paper, a million dollars, and then they looked at each other and they laughed. And I didn't, right? <laughs> I didn't laugh. And then they were like, and then they became my enemy, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to beat them, right? And I just wanted to beat them. That's all I thought about every single day. And uh, the only problem is I wish their company was like $100 million, but their company was probably only about a $30 million company or something. And so for me, I remember us being at a conference together and I was on the big Jumbotron and I was getting these awards, you know, and it was clear that I was 
my company was more recognized than their company and we had, you know, more clout in the space and I knew we were bigger than them. And at that point, it was like somebody burst the balloon, right? Mm. Because all the air was out of my cell. I didn't have any other target. So I went through a period of years where I was like, shit, you know, I beat those guys, you know, and I didn't have a, a good target. So, uh, so yeah, I twirled around for a little bit and then I had to get back on track at some point. But that was my target. Mm. And that was my motivation for a long time. I wanted to beat, you know, uh, Rosenblatt, you know? Uh, I see the common theme here. You wanted to beat the kids in North Carolina and South Carolina. <laughs> Even with the race cars, <laughs> you yeah. want to beat them on the track. Yeah. You just want to win. I just want At to all win. costs, whatever it takes, I got to win. Yeah, yeah. So at what point do you start planning your exit strategy to sell your company? So that's the thing. So like literally, uh, I didn't have an exit strategy, right? I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a coach that could, you know, coach me around that stuff. I had a coach around sales and different things, but not in terms of business and what I should do, what I should look for. And in fact, with my exit of Intact Technology, I left too late. I should have left a lot earlier, right? Because I would have had more freedom to go off and build the things that I'm building now and I've built, right? Um, so I didn't have an exit strategy. I, I just, at some point, you know, um, got sort of tired going, all right, you know, I'm in this company. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I like it anymore. You know, I don't like what I'm doing because it's like I, I didn't have anybody to be, you know. So what am I here doing, you know? Uh, and then you felt I felt like I was solving the same problems over and over again. And so at some point, retroactively, I had to create an exit strategy, you know, kind of figure out, OK, what am I going to do now? So you said you left too late. And so I'm. Can you explain that a little bit? Because yeah. the, uh, timing is, is, is key, mm -hmm. especially in business and acquisitions and things like that. How did you know that it was too late? It, was it something that triggered you, like, you know what, I should have left then? Yeah. Well, well, you know, you, you probably want to sell, you know, a lot of times you, um, you, you could probably sell your business before you think you can, right? You think you got to have everything in order and all, you know, and, and that's not true. Right. So that's one. So I should have started to educate myself on that process prior to, excuse me, prior to me doing it. Um, uh, you want to um, do it when you're not tired. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, because what happens is the entrepreneurial journey, you're going to get tired at some point of that. And just as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you're moving around, you know, you're like, I like this. I get and, and entrepreneurs have. They're talented people, so they can do a lot of different things, right? And one of the problems with entrepreneurs, you'll, you, I know you guys, are, you know, you deal with so many different entrepreneurs. They'll put their hands in so many different things, you know? And, and it's hard to really maximize a particular opportunity if you're doing that. Mm -hmm. And so, and that was the case with me. I was like, oh, let me go off and build this construction business. Let me go off and build this other thing. And so, as opposed to just amplifying what I was already doing in this one company and selling it a little bit before I wanted to, mm. right? So if I'd have done that, um, I think I could have uh, 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 made even more money on the exit. And not only make more money on the exit, it would have been probably a more pleasant process, mm. right? By the time I exited the company, I felt like I was 
fighting every single day for like two and a half years, you know, of going through the exit process, you know? So, so it took a lot out of you, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you're, you know, you're like holding on to your life with this thing. Whereas when you're, you know, kind of at this point where you still have the energy and the company still has the momentum, the company still had great momentum when I left, but I didn't have the energy for the company anymore. Right. Right. So, by the time I left, I was like, man, I'm ready to go, you know? And so, and you give up leverage at that point. If you're, if you're still willing to run the company for five more years, you haven't given up leverage, you know? But mm -hmm. if you're in a place where you're ready to go, you know, you're giving up a lot of leverage. And you said the sale process took two years, so I imagine you're, At least. you're going to work every day, like. <sighs> well, for me, I moved to the Dominican Republic and uh, I would go back and forth from D.C. and the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And I, and I um, invest in a hotel, build a restaurant, I started uh, collecting property and stuff like that and, and doing other things. And I installed uh, uh, a president and a chief operating officer right. and all those things. So it was for, for the last um, at least seven years of, of my, uh, my tenure at Intact. Mm -hmm. um, I was hands. I was pretty much hands off. I signed checks, you know. I had checks Ubered to me, bro. Like, you know, you're in a bad place when you got the checks Ubered to you. You, know? you don't even go to the office. I didn't even have an office in my in, in the new space. I didn't even, you know, was I didn't even care. That's the first. So yeah. Uber the checks over. Yeah, I did. I did. So yeah. So so I think the lesson for me now is I know the entrepreneurial journey a little bit more because I've gone from from founder to exit. You know, I've done it a couple times. And so I can recognize the journey a little bit better. Yeah. So having said that, like if I'm coaching an entrepreneur, I say, bro, you know, package this thing up, be ready to sell it, you know, um, uh, get some realistic numbers. When I say realistic, realistic is a bad word when you talk to entrepreneurs. But understand the value of your business and what causes the value to go up and down, you know. So as far as selling a business, we've been getting educated. It's like depending on what industry you are, the EBITDA, multiples of that. But mm -hmm. tech, they said, is like multiples go through the roof. For yeah, tech. it can. Yeah, it can. It depends. Like in, in, in my space, if you have like um, like privileged contracts or government contracts or contracts that are hard to get mm -hmm. or you have uh, proprietary software, you know, things, you know, so there's certain things that causes that that multiple to go up. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, a lot of times we're just trying to what are we trying to do? We're trying to make the math work. We're trying to make all the stuff work and there's something left over at the bottom and we're trying to make that number bigger. And whereas uh, if we were also focused on the multiple and what causes that multiple to go up and the EBITDA and all that sort of stuff. But there's so much we don't know about selling a business and how to sell a business and how to prepare for it that it um, it impacts how we run the business, mm -hmm. you know. So what's one thing that people should know as far as you just said something that was profound, like it affects how we run the business, because I'm assuming what you mean by that is like if we knew what it takes to sell a business, we would be running businesses differently mm -hmm. because we'd be running it with the anticipation of selling it. Yeah. So what are some mistakes that people make because they're not thinking about selling it or they're just not prepared to sell it? Yeah, so there's there's a number of things, but like one of them is, um, um, you know, the, the you know just running your business, uh, you know, more efficiently so that you're looking at EBITDA, 
you know, so like sometimes people have staff, you know, on their team that's not hoping them, right? So, you know, let's let's just take a, a number, a hundred thousand dollars, right? But if your multiple is ten, that person costs you a million dollars. So if that person's on your payroll when you're trying to sell your business, that's a million dollars. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> so, you know, you're gonna think about that that you know being wasteful in terms of the people on your team a little bit differently you know um so you know so you have to be efficient so sometimes it's like you know i got this person on my payroll i got this person on my payroll but it's okay it doesn't matter because they're close to me they're family i'm taking care of them but when you're selling your business whatever that number is times whatever that multiple is you know that's that's what's that's what you're going to miss you know as an example that's a pretty, that's a really great example because I'm thinking now, especially if you're building a tech company mm-hmm. and the valuation is maybe 20x, mm-hmm. and that person's getting 100,000. <laughs> so it's, 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 yeah. Yeah. it's about yeah. just So now being, you got to convince somebody that that person is really not necessary <laughs> on your team and you have to, you know, that's something that you're going to deduct, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, no. So just being more efficient. Yeah, that, that's one, yeah, being more efficient. Um, also... The other thing is uh, coming up with, you know, intellectual property that causes your your uh, multiple to go higher, right? Coming up with programs or systems or things that you know, you know, make it uh, more. We have a, a supplement company, right? So, uh, and that's based on you know creating products that's science based and and uh, and uh, so science and outcome-based, right? So we want to make sure, but we want to make sure that some of that stuff is proprietary, that somebody else can't just go do that, right? Um, so having proprietary formulas and, and things like that is going to help our business sell more in terms of the multiple later. Because everybody can't do it. Everybody, yeah, you can't do it. How are you going to produce that? You can't produce it. You don't know what it is. You know, it's a secret. <laughs> it's special, you know, kind of thing. So what was the journey after you sold your company? Um, well, when I sold my company again, like I was already, uh, you know, mentally gone, you know, from my company and me and my business partner, JJ, we had already started another company, um, at least 10 years earlier, you know? And so, and that company was already making, you know, um, in terms of, uh, uh, revenue or income or bottom line, you know, a lot of money, you know, and so, uh, so, and and a part of me was when I built the the tech company, I was always concerned that because I was absentee, you know, at the at the end, mm-hmm. uh, that something may happen, right? Something may happen, and I lose the company or lose control or something like that. So I was then hell bent on building another company that replaced this income. So by the time I sold that company. Right. I was prepared to, you know, to to not get anything from it uh, because we were already making so much money in the other businesses that we built. And so so it was just honestly, it was like, you know, it was, you know, I think um, we had some FU conversations between me and my, you know, the guys I ended up selling it to, you know, <laughs> we had a bunch of FU conversations. And I was like kind of done with the thing. And I remember saying, guys, don't even call me anymore. I'm done, you know, with this whole negotiation. It was really intense. 
And I remember going to the airport and saying, I don't even care. You know, I'll just run this thing, whatever, right? And I remember getting this text and said, X amount had been wired to my account. And I think, you know, this whole big release was like, Phew. And I think, yeah, I think I just cried, you know? I think I cried, man. I was like, this is like crazy. You know, it was so cool. I hadn't signed anything. You know, but they knew I was so done because of the FU conversations that we were, we began to have that they were like, let's get this man his money. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, yeah, because he might blow this whole thing up. And I had the leverage to blow the whole thing up because, you know, we were making $2 million a month in another company, you know, so that was good, you know, I was okay. Yeah, so you were ready to walk away because you already had. Yeah, I, was, because you already had I had leverage, right? Good. Yeah, and so a part of the process was I had lost leverage because I wasn't seeing our customers. I wasn't in front of our employees, most of the employees. I wasn't in front of anybody anymore and didn't want to be. So I had lost leverage, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the folks that were buying the company knew that. And so we went through this whole hell process of the, uh, you know, selling the company. And, uh, and at some point I had to go, you know what? I don't actually don't need it, you know? Yeah. I'll still be good, it would be nice. Yeah. To never have to think about working again, but but I'm okay, you know. And so when I so you got to keep leverage, yeah. you know, um, in terms of business, right? And uh, yeah. So so after you look at the, the wire, and it's tears of joy because of what's been lifted off your shoulders. Yeah. Is the move now? You know what? I have a business with my partner. Let's double down and just try to make this thing grow, or let's be innovative and create something else again. I think I took a little bit of a, um, you know, some mental break, right? And then it was like, I, I think I started going, you know, I should do Shark Tank, you know, TJ Sal, mm -hmm. you know, and start looking for companies to buy and invest in and things like that. And so, and a lot of, I, I, I do spend time doing that. And I say no more often than I don't. Keek is an example where I didn't say no, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I looked at a, a deal um, just yesterday, day before, that's a really interesting deal. But uh, uh, but I'm careful because I got to make sure that my team can support whatever I say. Guys, let's 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 take this on and do it. Mm -hmm. So the marketing team, the guys that write content or, or write copy, the guys that write, uh, you know, that, that do the content guys that do the email marketing, the guys that, you know, strategy, all that stuff, I got to make sure that we are on point and can do the work in, if, if I want to make the investment, right? Mm -hmm. So so I still look at a lot of deals. I just um, say no to most of them. Yeah, what do you, I mean, since you say no to most of them, what is it that you're looking for to make you say yes in the deal? I'm looking for something that we could scale, you know, yeah. something that, like, um, with with Kika, we were able to put together a plan and go. We can make this a nine-figure, you know, thing, right? We can make this a nine-figure business if we, you know, make the investment and do the work, right? We can, we can, we can do that, right? And I gotta, and we can see a path to that. So if we do something and it's gonna make, you know, you know, a few million, obviously I'm not gonna do that, right? Because we have other opportunities that that are are much greater. Mm -hmm. So. So one, the CEO or the founder, uh, who's that person, right? Because you're investing in people and then ideas and then they're able to execute. One of the things about Kika is she's fast. She gets everything done super fast. She does what she says she's gonna do. Most people aren't that way. 
So, so you're looking for something. So some things are so early mm. that it's going to take, you know, uh, three or four years before you get to revenue, you know, profit. And so I'm not really looking for that right now, you know, mm. maybe later, but not right now. So something that we're saying, oh, this makes money, but it needs X, Y, and Z, and we can fill in those gaps, then that makes sense to me. You spoke about um, your supplement company, your mm-hmm. business partner, mm-hmm. JJ. JJ. Can you talk about, can you talk about that? It's yeah, a unique, yeah. unique situation. Yeah. JJ is a rock star, you know? Uh, so JJ is uh, one of the most prolific authors in, you know, um, nonfiction authors, authors like in the last 10, 20 years, right? Or, or of the, she's the top 10 or 20 authors in the last 10 years. I'm going to go with 10 because <laughs> otherwise she'll start throwing yeah, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? But, we yeah. so, we'll say 10. So, in fact, we just did a whole auction uh, uh, last week with, uh, with JJ. And so it's like speed dating, right? So we go off and we talk to all these, these uh, publishers. And the nice thing is, is like right now for, for publishing, there's been better times for publishing in terms of advances and stuff. But... Um, but we did this whole speed dating thing, and it's it's really cool because when you're sitting next to JJ and you're doing it, they're pitching you. You're not pitching them, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, just today, we got um, a pretty big offer for 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 one of her books to to create a book. But uh, she's the author of Ten Day Green Smoothie Cleanse, uh, which is has a cult following, um, sold millions and millions of books in at least 21 different countries. Uh, it was on the New York Times list for 54 weeks in a row. Mm. Um, you know, she's on Dr. Oz a lot. And she's, uh, um, you know, we call her the Michael Jordan of execution because she just gets stuff done, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so she's, she's, yeah, it's funny. She's my ex-wife. She's my best friend. <laughs> she's my business partner. And so it's a weird combination of those things, you know? So obviously JJ's part of the team. You spoke about some of, you said you had to go over it. If the team would be able to execute the vision of, of your investment, who are these team members? What, like, what? How many team? How many people make up the team, and what are some of the roles that you have? So we have a couple content guys that are like people that do um, um, uh, uh, video, photos, social media stuff. We have a sales guy, a person that does cold calling, and you know that kind of thing. We have a person that does email marketing. Um, we have two people that do that kind of thing uh, for different brands. Um, we have, uh, you know, people that do graphic stuff and put put that stuff together. Um, we have uh, the strategy guys. We have ad buyers. Um, um, I'm sure I'm missing some folks, but yeah. Uh, we have a support group in the Dominican Republic. So for any of our products, whenever someone... Um, buy something from us, they have an issue or whatever. We have uh, a team of four people in the Dominican Republic that answers um, all their questions. We have, uh, um, um, you know, for, for the J.J. Smith brand, we have a Facebook group of uh, about 850, 860,000 people. So we have 12 ambassadors that help answer every question in that uh, group. So... Um, yeah, so we have a number of people uh, on our team that makes up our marketing team. So essentially, that's what we are as a marketing team. We just have um, brands that sit on top of. Okay. So um, let's talk about this. 
because like I said, it's interesting. You were married, mm-hmm. you're not married, mm-hmm. but you're still business partners. Yeah. How has that worked out? And can you talk about that dynamic? Because like I said, it's a very unique situation. Yeah, yeah, it is very unique, man. We are, so JJ and I met at a job interview, Intact Technology, right? She, we met at a job interview so many years ago. Um, she came in, I was like, damn, so so we we met and i think she thought i was all right you know and so uh we talked we talked i ended up like canceling all my meetings and stuff so we just kept talking and then after that she says look are we gonna date or we're gonna work together you know she was just straight up (laughs) i was like you know um we decided we were gonna um date so she went and worked for booze allen and uh, she was working for Booz Allen. I think she must have worked there for a week or something. Uh, and so, so she's working for Booz Allen. They wanted to have her to go to England. She was in the Washington, D.C. area because she was coming down from New York back to the D.C. area. And uh, they wanted her to go to England. And she was like, mm, I don't think so. I met this dude. And so, by the way, when we met, I was helping her look for an apartment. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was helping her look for an apartment. I said, why am I helping you look for an apartment? Just move in with me. I think this was day one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is day one. Right. That's so a, that's, a, that's a card. That's right. A card. Right. Right. <laughs> and so I remember she said, no. Nope. So she quit this job. She didn't even tell me. And then she says, I'm going to work for you. And I said, well, there's a problem because I can't afford you. Right. Because we hadn't got to that part. Yeah. She made one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year. And that was like. 17 years ago kind of thing, right? And I was like, you know, I can't afford you, you know? She said, I'll work for free. Oh, wow. What? You know, so that lasts about two weeks. Because <laughs> 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 right? I had to tell her what to do, and you me telling her what to do, she was going to have to get paid, you know? So, uh, so, yeah, I ended up paying her, and she ended up getting equity in the company. So when we exited, she also was paid you know, from, from that exit. So it was a wee thing. So, so yeah, so she was, uh, worked in the company. She ran services, you know, all of that, like all the people that went out and did work and got, and was billable. And at some point she came to me and, uh, and at some point, so, so, so that, that, so we were like hanging out for about four years living together and then we got married. And that lasted for about two days. <laughs> you know, it lasted for about eight months, I think. And then she, like, you know, came home. She's like, I'm moving, you know? So she moves about a mile away, and we continue to be friends and stuff, right? It's like she moved a mile away, like, day before my birthday or something. Um, <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, yeah, and then a little bit later, she came to me, and she said, look, I wrote this book. Right. So she got weird. I hadn't seen her for a while, but she's writing a book. So I came to her apartment. She had this book, a manuscript, and she gave it to me. And she said, read this. I said, what is it? She said, I wrote a book. I was like, you're not an author. She said, well, I am now. And then I said, okay, let me take it and I'll read it. She's like, no, this is the only copy. This is it. You got to read it. I'll read slow. So I'm like sitting there and she's like, the, gotta, like the whole, at one time. At one time, yeah. So I'm sitting there like reading. She's sitting there watching me as I read this thing. Uh, how long is this book? Right, right, right. <laughs> and so after I read this book, so we go the whole time I read this book. And then she says, I need you to help me sell it. I said, I don't know shit about selling a book. 
She said, well, you're the best businessman I know. So, you know, I knew you would say that. So she gave me a whole nother stack of things to read, right? Yeah. The study, how to read, you know, sell books and stuff. And then that was the, um, the, the birth of the J.J. Smith brand. And so we we're like, okay, we're going to um, sell this. So we started building her brand, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. And now it's been millions of books, millions and millions and millions of dollars. I, we were looking at just in our supplement company, we looked yesterday, the day before, and we have 300,000 unique people that have bought supplements from us. Wow. 300,000. And so, um, yeah, so we've done a whole lot together. So we built that, we built this. And at this point, um, even with Kika, she's my partner in that, but she completely trusts me in terms of my ability to vet out a business mm -hmm. and to go, we're investing in this, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, and it's like, obviously, you offer guidance for JJ, and you offer the guidance for Kika. And I'm sure there's plenty of other entrepreneurs that you offer for guidance. So, when you were creating businesses and there was mistakes, did you have in your mind always that, you know what, I'm going to help the next person not make these mistakes? And is that how we got In Hot Pursuit? Yeah, so, so In Hot Pursuit came about as a result of us working together with JJ and it was like, you know what, I ought to be helping people build stuff because I was anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, it just wasn't doing it formally. And so, I mean, because at the end of the day, even when you look at Intact, it's like you're helping coach and mentor entrepreneurs and putting them in place to, to run things. Even in, in you know, the car wash business that I built, even in the construction business that I built, you know, I wasn't out swinging a hammer. I don't know anything about that, mm -hmm. you know? So you're always mentoring, coaching people. So that's a big part of what, where that came from was, let me, um, let me uh, figure out how to do this faster because every time you do it, you do it a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't know that it was like this intentional thing, like, man, I'm just gonna help this guy. Because I think sometimes people say that and it's kind of disingenuous, right? It's like, you know, I'll hear people talking about uh, they're coaching people in Forex or they're coaching people in this. It's like, why are you doing this if they make X amount of money? Well, they just want to help that person. I'm like, man, you just, that's okay. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense sometimes, you know. But for me, um, um, you know, I have a program where I do this partner for a day. And people come in and we just sit down and we just go through the whole business. I act like I'm their partner because I act as though if I'm buying this business, how would I scale it? And, uh, and with that experience, I'm able to, to help people navigate certain things mm -hmm. that I've already failed at, you know, or, or, or learned to do well. Let me ask you this as well. What's your philosophy on real estate? I know you got a lot of doors mm -hmm. on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And then the hotel in the Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. I want to ask about that. Yeah. How'd you get into real estate? What's your, yeah, what's your philosophy on yeah. that? So, uh, so in Dominican Republic, I invested in a hotel in the Dominican Republic. And that since, you know, um, didn't turn out great. I have a, 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 a property in um, um, the luxury collection at the Dominican Republic, which is a hotel. And I just own, you know, some property there. Uh, my I look at real estate as a, a way to... Um, to, to, to manage taxes. So it's a huge tax thing. It's a way to, to bound leverage, right? So with real estate, you get to bound leverage and you get to, you know, um, depreciate stuff. And, and so there's a lot of tax benefit. Mm -hmm. So if you're making money, you're going to have to be in real estate, right? Um, I think that, you know, you know I, I think you, 
you you buy real estate as an asset, which means you use it to make money. You know, where you live is not an asset, you know, and, and, and you can lease that, you can rent that, you don't have to buy that, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but you use it to diversify your portfolio, you use it to, to manage your taxes, um, and you use it to create passive ways to make money. Now, there's a path that says people are like, I'm going to go out and um, I'm a real estate guy. And that's what I'm doing. I have a hundred and almost 160 keys, you know, in terms of real estate, but I don't consider myself a real estate guy, you know, I, um, even though I have a lot of real estate, you know. So you, Grant Cardone had the similar type of philosophy and a lot of, it goes against what a lot of people that, you know, middle-class grow up thinking like, you know, work your whole life, get a home and that's your biggest asset. But you don't think like a residential home is, is an asset. No, no, it's, it's not it's, bringing you any money. It's not making money. Mm-hmm. So it's not an asset. It's, you know, and, and it's only an asset when you, you, you sell it, then it's a, it's an asset. If, you know, a lot of, you know, people, you know, I, I did a, a YouTube piece on one of, one of the uh, real estate things, and you see the comments like, you know, I can buy this in, I don't know, South Dakota, or I can buy this in wherever, right? For whatever amount of money. And it's never going to appreciate value. You're going to buy it. So how much of an asset is that? Or I'll be able to pay it down and then you can borrow against it. So there's some value in that. So I'm not knocking anybody for that. It's just, that's great, but that's not um, the way to grow fast wealth or, 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 or exponential wealth. So I understand you talk about your your meaning your 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 own home. Right. Yeah. 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 One of the things you talk about is getting the keys to having real wealth. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of talk about it. Obviously, maybe real estate is part of it. But mm-hmm. What are some keys for people to attain real wealth? Yeah, leverage and skills. So skills. I think people have to have high paying skills, talent, something that they can um, that the world sees as value, not mm-hmm. just your mom. <laughs> you know, be so good. <laughs> you know, the world sees its value, right? Um, so that's commercially valuable, uh, and then you apply leverage to it. So, um, so for me, if I'm just a technologist, right? I'm coding. I make good money, but the leverage comes from me being able to say, "Let me sell services," and I can either make a product that I can sell over and over and over again, that's leverage. Mm-hmm. Or I have services that I can have these other people do, now I've added leverage to it. Uh, and I think some people, so sometimes people aren't entrepreneurial, right? Entrepreneurs find a way to add leverage to whatever it is that they're gifted at or talented at or whatever. So I think that is, you know, um, you know obviously investments, you know, um, and, and real estate is just one of those, but it can be a, it, it can be a skill too, right? Like where people go, oh, I know how to pick properties. I know how to like, you know, GC. I know how to do all these things. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a buddy named Tom that I, I partner with and that's his thing. He's a developer and he's really good at that, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think high paying skills, leverage is the path for most people. Yeah. So uh, let's say the first one because I think it was a great quote. We, we tell people all the time, if you want to have a job in the future, find a skill that can't be automated. Mm-hmm. And so you said the high-paying skill. Mm-hmm. 
there's a difference between that and a high paying job. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So high paying job is you have the situation. <laughs> Somebody's paying you for the situation. Mm-hmm. I can hire my cousin, my nephew, my niece, you know, um, and pay them well because I like them or it's a cool situation. But they can't replicate that somewhere else easily. Right. And that's a high paying job. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm obviously um you know, like uh, magnifying that the fact that they're family and I'm giving them a job. And I feel like a high paying job is something someone gave you, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas a high paying skill, you're solving a problem for people, right? And because you're solving that problem for people, you can solve that problem for this person, this person, this person, and this person. And they're all going to pay you the same kind of money because mm-hmm. you're solving that problem that is, um, is, 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 uh, is not easy to solve. So that's a high-paying skill. Um, so what made you get into YouTube, and what, was, what, what, what value do you find social media, YouTube? How's that working out? Zero value. <laughs> 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 oh, man. No, I, you know, so YouTube is a couple things, right? It's a platform to kind of um, share certain things that I love, right? And I love business. I love cars, you know, um, and so uh, as I was building the In Hot Pursuit TJ Millionaire Mentor mm-hmm. brand, you know, it was it it it's funny because I can go on and say the same things, right? But unless you show certain things, where people go, they want to see the end results, they want to see hear the process, and they're not going to listen to you until you show that you're credible, right? So if I show you know, you know, eight million dollars worth of cars, or ten million dollars worth of cars, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Then people go, "Oh, this guy, you know, knows what he's talking about." Well, I ought to at least listen. <laughs> you gotta show the part. You know, I, I think with uh, even with like Kika, we put the uh, logo on the car. We got ten leads for franchises. You know, whereas you know, you go, okay, cool. You know, there's there's some more credibility in this thing. But but it was this thing that, you know, hey, look, I'm passionate about cars. I'm passionate about racing and all that. So it was a way to share some of that, right? Otherwise, I keep it bottled up. Mm-hmm. And JJ was like, show your car, do this, do that. I was like, you know, you know, as opposed to getting up and just talking about it. You got, the thing that's amazing about you guys is you guys do none of that. You get on, it's like, <laughs> it's facts, it's <laughs> business. Let's get down to sh- talking about, hey, Entrepreneur, what do you got to say? What do you got to teach? Yeah. Teach us, yeah. you know? And so kudos to you guys because you guys don't have to have any of that sauce yeah. to do what you do, Yeah, which is hard. Yeah, not for sure. And that's one of the things that we was, real, we was real conscious about early on was like, I respect the lifestyle marketing, but I felt like our pathway was more just education. Yeah. And um, it's something that's worked. And yeah. it's, it's something that, you know, it's kind of easy to keep up because all we have to do is provide information. Yeah. We don't have to provide lifestyle. Right. So you might not want to provide lifestyle that day, or you might be, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You might just have a day where you just want to chill, but if people kind of know you for that, you always got to stay on brand. Right. They can't, they can't catch you at the supermarket if you're not doing donuts. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, that's, I mean, kudos, man. That's awesome because, you know, like, it, and I think in that, you got to be patient, right? Just do it and build up and, you know, yeah. uh, in terms of the way you guys have done it, which is awesome. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Now we would be remiss if we didn't mention this. What's that? At the amazing white all white party. Yeah. You called us. You called me over and said you you gotta come see something. Yeah. I said what what we got? He said you gotta come taste my tequila. Yeah. 
So I tasted all. There was about four of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did we get into the tequila business? Let, let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tequila, man. So I just like so it's funny because I'm not a heavy drinker, but when I drink, I drink tequila, right? And I drink it straight. So as a result of drinking tequila straight, you know, you end up buying the tequila that's smoother, you know, and more refined. So the one thing about tequila that most people don't know, like the tequila, tequila is made from agave plant, right? Mm -hmm. And so agave takes four to seven years to mature before you can harvest it and make tequila. Even like white tequila that ain't, you know, that, that might not be very refined or, or very smooth. So let's say it's not four years, it's five years, take, right? So for me, I always like that really super smooth stuff, you know, which, you know, might be a five-year-old tequila. So that's 10 years to make that tequila, mm. right? So I always like the craftsmanship of tequila, right? And, and the process of doing it. And, you know, I don't drink a lot, so I'll drink the tequila slow, chill with it. And so I started doing tequila talks with Todd, right? So I would do tequila dogs with Todd. And so I would do that and people liked it, you know, and and that just amplified the fact that, you know, this dude likes tequila. And so um, I decided as a part of, you know, I've always said, but there's not the right tequilas out there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go down and, and, and go to Jalisco, Mexico and figure it out. And so that's what I did. I went down and started figuring it out. And then I was like, just kind of as a hobby, really. Just mm. something as a little boutique-ish sort of thing. And then when I was down there, um, one of, somebody that knows me um, is partnered with someone who's a billionaire. And he was like, hey, TJ's doing this tequila thing, you know? Hey, TJ, let's talk about this. You know, maybe we can do something together. I was like, wait a minute, you know? I was just playing, you know, making something really cool, like small. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, I have this 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 person who's interested in um, um, putting it in um, all of their restaurants and, and, you know, they own a sports team. Uh, and I was like, cool, you know, let me, you know, kind of pursue that, you know. So that's how that started, you know, is really out of just a passion, a love for tequila, really good tequila, though. You no, know, great tequila. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So that's that's how that started, man. So what's the plan? Are you selling it in or online or I'm still developing. Okay. So I'm still developing right now. So I you know, I partner I found someone to partner with that um that has a great history in, in, in making tequila and cultivating agave. And so um so now I'm trying to figure out you know, my specific t uh, uh, flavor profile. And so that's a little bit of a process. So, um, so yeah. And so right now it's like we're designing the bottle and, and all that. And so it's real early stages mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, and then when you have house parties, you can always have the drink of choice. Yes, tequila. <laughs> Come to my tequila. tequila. Yeah, yeah. It only makes sense. <laughs> yes. yeah. So what's what's next for you? What's what's on your vision board for the next five, ten, twenty years? Yeah, the next couple of years. I mean, we're we're building out the supplement company. We're growing Kika. You know, um, we have a marketing company where we market. We we work differently. We instead of like charging your fee, we do it for equity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the relationship there. So those are the three 
you know, entities that I'm really, really, you know, involved in. So, I mean, I'll continue to invest in real estate, mm-hmm. you know, um, but in terms of business, those are the things that, 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 that I'm focused on is building out those. And those are big, you know, um, you just got to focus and be successful in those things. Yeah. Your, your first love, your first passion is a lot of them here with cars. So we, we can't go anywhere without talking about the cars. I, oh, I'm man. not sure how many I've seen here. I, yeah. How many cars do you have in total? What, what's the number of the fleet? Yeah. How many more sports cars are we going to do? Are we racing? What are we doing? Man, I'm racing for sure. <laughs> you know, I'm racing for sure. So I'm in the, uh, I'm participating in the Ferrari Challenge. And the Ferrari Challenge is, you know, um, it's what we call a spec series, which means all the cars are the same. So it's about talent, skill, you know, to, to win because all the cars are the same. You know, they, they look, they might look different in terms of livery, you know, mm-hmm. what's on the car. But all the, the exhaust, the braking, the tires, all that's the same. So I'm doing that series, and I'm the only black guy in the Ferrari Challenge series. And so, you know, I'm excited about that, man. That's uh, yeah. Thanks. Where, where's that race? That's on a track. Yeah. So it's uh yeah. So we race. Uh, the first race is in uh, Coda Circuit of Americas, which uh, is where they do the the Grand Prix with like Lewis Hamilton and all those guys oh, are down there this weekend. Okay. So that's the first race in March. And then the second race is in Daytona. The third race I think is in New York, Watkin Glen. And then we do uh, Montreal where they do the, um, the F1 race. Okay. We're like the undercard for the F1 race. Um, and then um, a couple other places after that. So, so there's a series where you race all these different places and depends on how you end up points. You go to the world champion. You go to the the champ world championship, is which that is like uh, nah. It'll be we don't know because okay. they they announce it. So it'll either be in Asia mm-hmm. or it'll be in Europe. Yeah. Who who who's the owners of these cars? Like, regular like yeah, like they're not like race car drivers. They're like people like you, like that just have like. Oh, a, what you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm saying. You like you like all these cars. He's like race car driver. No, no, we ain't gonna do you that. ain't no race car driver. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm saying like as far as like this is people that's like really passionate. Yeah, but they're like entrepreneurs, business people. Yeah, yeah, they're all business people, man, because it, uh, you know, reality is, I mean, you could probably do um, the series, you know, on the cheap side, about $600,000 a year or so, uh, but it's going to cost, not, um, you know, a million dollars a year, $800 million a year. You have to, to, you have to pay? You have to pay. I have some sponsorship, like, okay. um, um, you know, I have uh, uh, some sponsorship by, um, Ferrari Rancho Mirage, they're paying, you know, certain things. So, yeah, a little bit of sponsorship, mm-hmm. you know. Hey, y'all, welcome to sponsor. Yeah. You know, we'll put that, you know, yeah, right you there, know. there, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 but let me ask you this: mm-hmm. um, you're paying. That's a lot of money. The car's a lot of money. But how's the camaraderie? Networking is it's it a great? Awesome, is it a great networking tool? It is. It is. Last like a couple weeks ago, I met a Rothschild. Wow. You know, like, you know, um, I met a guy that's like an heir of like Clorox, right? You know, we went into, you know, um, you know, checked his stuff out. You know, like his uh, garage was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, it, you know, all types of like people that you meet. It's amazing, right? Like I was telling you, the guy. Uh, 
my neighbor, Sam's, you know, the guys that, you know, I don't know if these guys want me telling their, their stuff, but yeah. you know, all these guys, you know, um, have done this or race. And so, yeah, so you're, you're, you're doing this with some, uh, amazing entrepreneurs. And, and so you're building a relationship with people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to build, yeah. you know, because yeah. imagine like, I mean, you're already in the club, right? You're, you're already, you know, okay, you own a Ferrari, but now you're racing, you know, and this group of people all have this thing in common. You're all racing for this little stupid little trophy. <laughs> you know, that's the only thing you get. Yeah, that's it. You're just trying to win and they're trying to win. Yeah. You know, and you're doing crazy stuff to, yeah. to try to win, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the camaraderie that you build is amazing. What's your favorite car? Uh, Ferrari. <laughs> which which one? Which which? Noted. Noted. Now, right now, my favorite car is probably my uh, Ferrari GTS, which is probably the one parked right up front because it's like it's the green one that was out there. Yeah, has a convertible. Yeah, so it's it's like a dope car. You know, so yeah. Yeah, I think I took a picture in front of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a little yeah it's and the thing about them is they're all going up in value right now. Yeah. You know, so you 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 know like um, like I try to buy cars that are um, special, limited editions, mm. and um, you know it's pretty cool. So you ask about cars. I got uh, two cars coming in next week. You know, um, um, yeah, and they've all gone up in value by. You know, a couple hundred thousand dollars at least each one of them. Even after you drive it. Yeah, even after I drive it, because you wouldn't put many miles on it. People can't buy, um, can't buy the car. So, because they can't buy the car, you know, they don't have an option. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, both of those cars, you know, are going to be worth um, at least two hundred thousand dollars a piece more. Than when I bought them, and I haven't even seen it. I haven't even touched it yet. So wow. as soon as it arrives, you know, and so I might switch some things out. We'll see. It's good to have options. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I might switch <laughs> some things out. So yeah, man, cars are my passion. They've always been, you know, uh, they've always been my passion, man. So yeah, so yeah. I, so, I read the story when you got the your first car at fourteen years old. Yeah, yeah. I said this. That's pretty slick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, this man. guy's done his research. <laughs> <laughs> He's a heavy research that's awesome, department. Man. That's yeah, his thing. I love that. Yeah. Nah, I mean, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a real deal, man. It's interesting, man. I appreciate you. What would you like to tell our audience before we, before we wrap up? Um, you know, to me, entrepreneurship is it, you know? So, you know, everybody can't be an entrepreneur, but everybody can own their their careers, right? Like, you know, get the high paying skills, you know, figure out a way to add leverage to it. You know, you can do more than you think you can, you know, the risk is worth it, you know, and the sky's the limit, you know? So, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's it. But you guys, they, they already know that because they yeah. listen to you guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's it, man. How can they follow you on social media and everything? Yeah. TJ Millionaire Mentor on uh, Instagram and, uh, uh, Facebook and YouTube. There you have yeah. it, ladies and gentlemen. And if you guys have any amazing business ideas and you need investment in a partner, you know, it has to be amazing. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, submit it. You know, send it. How should they send it? DM? Yeah, well no. Send it to um 
um, yeah, DM. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because I see right now that you know. But you got to be an amazing entrepreneur, <laughs> an amazing individual. You got to have amazing idea. You got to be real. You know. Probably got to be part of any legion. Yeah. Helps. There you go. That helps. There you go. Can you have a Troy yeah. housekeeping yeah. items? Yeah. Shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Shout out to the city of LA, and shout out to this house. <laughs> shout out to JJ. Shout out to the whole family. I see the heir to the throne is here helping us out today. Um, and TJ, shout out to you, man. This, Thank you, this man. This has been incredible. Um, you hosted us. You didn't even know us at that time. Well, you knew of us. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. us, and uh, like you said, everybody knows you at this point. Man. <laughs> if they haven't seen you now, man, they've been sleeping on the rock. We, we, we know, you know, all, you know. I wouldn't have to say your whole name. Just the EYL. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, like you said, shout out to our guys, uh, Francis and Jay, who. Uh, for the invite, I heard they got you a, a beautiful painting. Yeah, that man. Part, that we're, yeah, we're gonna connect. Um, they come out connect. here. They come out here in a few days. They yeah, tell us. Yeah, 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 gonna connect. Yeah. So uh, shout out to, again to everybody on Patreon.com. You know, that's our proud to pay program. Shout out to Miss B. She's a, a new tier five uh, member on Patreon, which obviously gives her access to UIL University, uh, the number one place for everything in the world of business and entrepreneurial. Uh, efforts. Uh, so shout out to everybody, all our earners that are part of that, our Facebook group, and shout out to the merch. Obviously, I'm, we got some more limited items that will be coming to y'all very soon. Uh, so shout out to the team that's getting it done. Shout out to our, our guy Mike B, our Bogart, uh, for connecting with us and, and putting out an amazing line. Uh, yeah, man, we appreciate the support. Yeah, thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Hey. My graduates from my school, being Forbes, backdrop, backdrop. <laughs> A mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop.